Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm joined on the podcast today by Natasha Calder, author of the new novel, Whether Violent or Natural. New York Times bestselling writer Rory Power wrote about the novel. Sly, sharp, and utterly captivating, whether violent or natural tumbles headlong toward, toward its surprising yet inevitable end. Calder's voice is one I won't soon forget. I interviewed Natasha on an earlier episode of the podcast regarding a novel she co-wrote, and I'll have a link to that earlier podcast in the show notes. Natasha, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jeff. Thanks so much for having me back. Absolutely. Well, if someone hasn't yet heard about your new novel, whether violent or natural, how would you describe the novel? Sure. So, um, whether violent or natural is set in a not too distant future world that's been largely devastated by total anti anti uh, microbial resistance, um, and it's focused particularly on the the lives of two characters, Kit and Creven, who are eking out an existence on a small island uh, away from the dangers of the mainland, um, and. It's set around what happens to their world when a woman one day washes up ashore their island and all their uh, secrets and lies begin to to crumble uh, around them. Um, And the book is told specifically from the perspective of one character, Kit. It's all from sort of within Kit's own internal monologue. And Kit has a very, very particular way of talking. Uh, I would describe the character as sort of... um, almost hyperfluent but with a very sort of like child's eye view on the world in some regards, you know, in a slightly childish way of speaking, um, sometimes, you know, informed by some of the same things that children's literature is informed by, like alliteration and rhythm and rhyme um, and wordplay. There's lots of wordplay, um, which is sort of, uh, I think, a reflection of Kiss as a very intelligent but very, very bored fantasist who only has so many means um to to create entertainment uh in the existence in which Kit and Craven find themselves, but also because Kit is always trying to shape the world um and to uh make Craven do certain things that, that Craven might not otherwise want to do, being a, a bigger and larger person than Kit. Um so it's Yes, it's been described a lot of times as very dark and very gothic, and I think it is those things. It's also a standalone complete. There's You get total closure at the end, um, and I'm sure it's not for everyone, but I, I've had some lovely feedback from people who have really got it, and I think people <laughs> who like that kind of voice, that sort of highly stylistic thing, uh, get along very well with it. Do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to writing the novel? Yeah, well, sort of. So in a context where I've been sort of vaguely following stories about antibiotic resistance for a while, it's just an area that I'm kind of interested in anyway. I think it's really fascinating that we're sort of in this golden age of medical care where we do have antibiotics and that's that's a wonderful mark of human ingenuity that we you know had penicillin or anything like that you know and it saved penicillin saved my life when i was six weeks old because i had a 
uh, an umbilical cord infection. It was only because I could be pumpful of penicillin that I didn't die. Um, but, you know, the bacteria that's responsible for the majority of those kinds of infections is already now, as we're speaking, resistant to penicillin. Um, and even though it's sort of human ingenuity that brought this wonderful medication in and made so many other kinds of uh, treatments possible, it's sort of human negligence and foolishness that is rendering them slowly, uh, well, actually quite quickly resistant to those same medications, things like um, putting antibiotics into the feed of livestock and um, over-prescription and people not following their prescriptions that they are given properly. Um, so I was just generally interested in that. And then in about 2016, a team of Japanese scientists discovered a particular kind of bacteria out in the waste of the bottle recycling plant in Japan. Um, and that bacteria was capable of devouring plastic, which is amazing, of course. And there is lots of potential there for dealing with uh, plastic pollution, which is obviously a massive concern for us all and for the environment. And I remember being intrigued by that at the time and thinking, firstly, how incredible it was as an opportunity, but then also thinking about it in the context of antibiotic resistance and wondering Oh gosh, you know, how much of our infrastructure is plastic? What would the consequences be if this did develop as we hope and then got out of hand? What kind of world would it be like then? Um, so that was sort of the starting off point, but it was it was many years later before I had a story and a set of characters to go with it. Well, the novel, whether violent or natural, is described as a dystopic novel. As a reader, are there other dystopic novels that you've read over the years that you enjoy? Oh, sure. Um, loads of them. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think, just trying to think of a few of my head. So um, one that is always front of the mind is Ridley Walker by Russell Hogan, uh, not least because that's written for, for anyone listening who's not come across it before. It's written in this incredible, it's called Ridley Speak. It's just the narrator has a very particular way of talking. It's like a sort of fallen English. And that's, I find, endlessly fascinating in the same way as, um, say, the lingo in A Clockwork Orange is endlessly fascinating as well. I suppose that's another kind of dystopia. Um, and, you know, there are a few more that I suppose I may have had in mind as I was writing uh, The Buys by George R. Stewart, The Road by Cormac McCarthy, who of course his death in the last week or so has been a big loss to the literary world um, and uh, other influences would be I guess J.G. Ballard as well where it's several different kind of dystopians all just taking these little what-ifs and then spinning out an entire world from that which I find, find always fascinating. What was your own writing journey that led you to writing and getting your debut novel published? Um, so my writing journey began relatively recently. I mean, prior prior to about 2018, well, even way back before then, I thought, you know, I had always been a reader as a child and there was a certain point where I was sure I knew what I wanted to do with my life, and that was to go to university and, and study English literature, which is a pretty short-sighted <laughs> life plan because it really only gets you, you know, a few years in. So I did my degree, I did my master's degree, and it was wonderful, but but um, it didn't really set you up for much else. Um, and if I'd entertained any ambitions of becoming an academic, I was disabused of those pretty quickly, at least just by the state of the academic industry, because it's a difficult 
it's a difficult career path um, with lots of precarity and, uh, and not much stability at all. Um, so I decided I wasn't going to carry on with that and I would go out into the world and get a real job. And I worked in digital marketing and I worked in cybersecurity um, and sort of slightly lost the will to live because there was nothing in my life to do with books at all. And very slowly I started to write again in about, again, or at all, in about 2018, just sort of for my own amusement, sort of keep myself alive and going around the edges of work. And then I was happened to read about a workshop called Clarion uh, West that were uh, they run a wonderful six-week workshop in Seattle every summer. Uh, and I applied just thinking it would be a good thing to practice applying for that sort of thing. And I was delighted to actually be accepted. So I went that summer to Seattle and that was uh, an incredible intense formative experience um, and I came back to the UK after that and, and spent a few more months in my job and then decided I would take some time out and, and, and uh, work more seriously on the writing stuff and just see yeah. how far I could take it um, and yeah. then from that point on really it's yeah. been sort of like a series of just well one stay of execution after the other I co-wrote a novel with a good friend of mine um, that year and then and we, you know, did several rewrites and went back and forth with a couple of agents, but we got signed by an agent in uh, the start of 2020 and we went on to mission the summer of that year. Um, and then the book came out in September 2021 between the times of going on submission with that co-written <laughs> book. And when it came out, I wrote the book we're talking about today, whether violent or natural, um, and uh, was delighted in that same September 2021 when it got picked up by Bloomsbury in the UK and then Overlook Press um, in the States. So that was a very exciting time. And now we're here at the point of publication. Um, so that's probably the not very interesting journey of how I got into it. But yes, hopefully there'll be a, a one or two more days of execution yet to come before I have to pack it in and earn some real money. Well, can you tell us about your Clarion West experience? As you mentioned, it, it it has kind of a reputation for being kind of an intense experience for writers. What what was your experience? Well, it's a. I mean, I knew nothing about it until I read about it in the paper that year. Um, but it's uh, very well established. It's been going for a long time. I'm sure plenty of your listeners will have come across Maybe. it. Um, it was. Slightly terrifying experience, you know. I'm I'm an introvert. I'm not very fond of people, and then suddenly you go for six weeks, and you're one of eighteen uh, workshop attendees, and you're all living together in an abandoned sorority house, um, and it's six weeks, and each week every single one of you writes a short story, and everyone critiques everyone else's work. Um, so that's also creatively, like I, I've never been under quite that much pressure um, to either produce creative work or critiques and it is remarkable what you can do in such a short space of time but it's also remarkable what you can learn I think I had learned the most from <laughs> not from the critiques I received on my own stories but from what good readers were pointing out about other people's work and that was really invaluable as an experience um Quite apart from, we also had a different instructor every week. You know, going, you know, writers at different stages of their careers, an editor, um, 
and that that was always interesting as well. But I, I don't think I learned anything so much as I did is just from from paying attention to other people's critiques. And if you do pay enough attention, then you can bring that to your own work because not everyone always has time or access to uh, a good group of readers. You can't necessarily always say, "Hey, please read my novel right now." But if you yeah. if you do at some point have good access to to a ring of good readers critiquing work, then you can learn enough to sort of take it on board and apply it to your own. Yeah, it, w- it was absolutely amazing. And I guess it also gives you, it was, I suppose, my first bit of validation. Um, I was sure they'd made a mistake when they, they let me in. Um, <laughs> but it was nice for six weeks to be taken seriously, you know, to say, all right, this is what we're going to be doing for this time. You're not going to be worrying about your job or even really about feeding yourself. We're just going to sit down and talk about writing and everyone else here is in the same position. Um, so it was, yeah, it was, it was, they do say, they do say when you go that it could change your life and you don't really believe it because it's just six weeks. How could your life change in six weeks? But it did. And yes, if anyone gets a chance to apply, I, I highly recommend it. Well, what was your writing process when you were working on Weather Violet Natural? Did you do a lot of plotting and outlining prior to starting work on the novel? Or did you just have this voice that you talked about and this point of view and kind of dive into it? How did that work for you? I I wish I I. I wish I could outline as a writer. I've tried it a few times and usually I then can't make the story work. Um, I'm very envious of writers who outline. I've been told that Connie Willis writes an entire plot outline and then just sits down every day and writes whichever bit she fancies, which seems like an incredible way of working. Um, But I am much more inefficient and I do an awful lot of what writing that ends up in the bin um and for whether violent or natural i think i spent nine months writing something completely different like a a wild awful fantasy god knows what it was you know way too ambitious and way too pedestrian at the same time and i hated it and i kept working away at it i guess there was some kernel in it that i really was interested in though i couldn't work out what it was so i started just cutting it down and down and down to things that were a bit more manageable until I guess I had a much smaller setting. I had an atmosphere. I had an island. I had an idea that I wanted only only a couple of characters um, and to deal with them intensely. But really, it was just nine months of toil and then a barrier broke down. Honestly, I feel like such an idiot every time I say this, but it was. It was like a wall broke down and there was Kit on the other side saying, what took you so long? And from that point on, it was very easy. It was all led by the voice then. Once I had a really clear idea of what it sounded like, I could just sit down and, and be pretty regimented about it. I could write 2,000 words a day and then I'd stop and then Kit would whisper in my ear through the night and tell me about all the things we were going to do the next day. Um, and that was very straightforward. Uh, so I think it was three months from that point, but that three months only came after nine months of absolutely struggling. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. 
every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Well, what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories or novels? Uh, well, I mean, there are much better writers to seek advice from from me, but I do have one bit of advice that I hope doesn't sound um, too patronising, which is to sweat the small stuff at some point. And I, I only mention it because one of the most valuable experiences um, I've had actually came when I did have a real job, when I was working in that cybersecurity company, I was a technical writer, and one of my responsibilities was to sit um, on the copy editing queue for all the company's marketing materials and, and, and reports and things like that, and getting to work with professional copy editors and proofreaders. I mean, you think you know a lot about grammar and syntax, and then, then, and then you realise the truth. And there is so much I learned from them um, that I've been able then to use later on in my work. And it's obviously you don't have to do it in your first draft because you just need to get the words down on the page. <laughs> but at some point, taking care to quibble over every single comma, full stop, semicolon, double checking the meaning of every single word, I think is absolutely critical. I mean, if you're pre-agent, then if you're producing clean prose, what it means is for your submission packages that you're giving them fewer reasons to throw your manuscript aside. And then later on, once you know, if you're in the fortunate position of having an agent, if you only go to them with stuff that's clean, then your mm -hmm. agent and later your editor can do their jobs more effectively because they can grapple with the bigger issues of the text rather than just trying to clean it up to get yourself out of your own way, if that makes sense. Um, so. I mean, it's often taken as a given that, that writers will pay attention to the small details of their craft, grammar and syntax, um, but I don't think we necessarily talk about it enough, and I think it's really, really important. So, yeah, that would be my advice. Well, have you started thinking about or working on a new novel? I have. I've been working on a new novel, I think, probably for a year and a half now, and it's, it is proving to be an even more inefficient, annoying process than the last. Um, did you hear that? Did you hear the, that question? Yeah. Oh, I think we've got out of sync. You can go ahead. Go ahead and proceed. Yeah? Did you hear the first part of my answer? Yes. You can go ahead. You can go okay. ahead and answer the question. Okay. Okay. I did. Sure. I did. Uh, I so did I hear think the I first saying part. That I, Sorry. Uh, <laughs> No, it's all right. Um, shall I just start again? Sure. Okay. So, um, yes, I have been working um, on a new novel, I think, for the last year and a half now, and it's proving to be uh, even more uh, inefficient and annoying than the last one. Um, I think the way I've been conceptualizing it re most recently is this like, you find yourself standing in front of a door and it's locked and you have to get through it. But, you know, once you get through to the other side, that's it. And you spend a certain amount of time jamming the lock and trying to work at the hinges until finally you get through and you think, oh, what a relief that was. I'm done. And then slowly your eyes adjust to the dark and you see there's another door there that you have to get through. And, and I've been doing that for the last year and a half, just slowly realizing there's something else I still have to do. 
Um, and every time I do uh, that happens, being absolutely certain it's the last thing, uh, and then it never is. Um, and I fear that by the time I do get through the last door, it will prove I'll end up with a manuscript that is unsellable. So, well, what can you do? You just have to. You just have to persevere and get through to the end. And I'm sure I'll, I'll learn plenty along the way, even if it ends up being a total pile of rubbish. Well, what novels have you read recently that you enjoyed? I've had a good run recently. Um, a friend of mine gave me a copy of Reservoir 13 by John McGregor, which I somehow missed when it came out. Um, and it's beautifully written. Um, it's It just starts off with the inciting instant. As so many books do of, of a young woman going missing, and then you go back to the community once a year, every 13 years, and see how people have and haven't changed, how the wildlife has and hasn't changed, and it's quite exquisite. And I had an accidental excellent pairing, which is I immediately then read a book called Falling Animals by Sheila Armstrong, which has only just recently come out and actually starts with sort of the exact inverse as the inciting instant, because instead of a young woman disappearing, it starts with the appearance of the body of a dead man on the beach, and then does a very similar thing in um, just examining slowly how that appearance, how that one event has an impact on the community, where it happens, and, and it's also beautifully written and it makes for a great, a great couple of books to read one after the other. Um, I also recently read Joan by Catherine J. Chen um, about Joan of Arc and uh, haven't picked up a historical book in a while, but I'm really glad that I picked up this one and I was really interested in the portrayal of Joan. It was going much more for the warrior side of things. She's quite, um, she's not similar to Richard of Bevenberg in Bernard Cornwall's novels, actually, mm. in, in this particular treatment, including a very uh, similar, ambiguous relationship with religion, which which I was fascinated by. Um, and I also read and enjoyed a graphic novel called Ducks by Kate Beaton, which is about uh, her two years spent on the, I think, the Canadian oil sands, um, which, yeah, was also completely different but 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 well worth a read for anyone who's into graphic novels well where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your novels not too many places i'm not on any kind of social media because i'm a, a, a misanthrope i guess but i do have a website natashacalder.com and i guess if there were to be any news that's where it would appear and there is a contact form if anyone really really desperately wants to get in touch with me and tell me how much they can't stand the book or love it or whatever. Well, again, we've been speaking to Natasha Calder, author of the new novel, Whether Violent or Natural. The novel is available now, so go buy a copy. And Natasha, thanks for doing this interview. Thanks so much for having me, Jeff. Wonderful. As far as I'm concerned, it begins like this. Me and Creven become sliding silhouettes in the night, we two stepping out together across the star-washed courtyard of the castle with my hand in his hand, he ahead and I trailing along behind, me playing the part of a reluctant child so as to be sure that he won't let go, me like a wave rider facing a rolling breaker and suddenly glad of being tethered to the board. There's nothing in the night but us. 
Us and the thale crest that lines the path, us and the eagle owl that circles high, high above the crumbling parapets of the old keep. Even the stars are still and silent, not singing to me like they sometimes do on a cloudless night, not twinkling out their astral boasts for all to read and weep. I don't mind. Stars don't stay quiet for long, not if they can help it, swanking vanities that they are. Besides, I'm busy being baby. Sometimes it's Creven who needs comforting, but for now it's my turn and I want to savour every moment, every second of ceded control, of not having to think or decide what to do next, where to go, how to behave. I let him lead me past the greenhouse, the glass pane silvered with night. When we slip by the door, there's a gasp of humidity on my skin, unexpected in the chill air. A stench of rotting flesh rides upon it, plant-born, stemming from one or other of the Stapelia gigantea that flourish in the arid heat. They are carrion plants, florid tricksters that pass themselves off as rotting corpses in the hopes of attracting the califorids upon which they rely to disseminate their seed. I want to stop and say hello properly, to do what I can to purify the plant's habitual rancour with pleasantries, but I've barely begun when Creven gives me a stern look and I catch the words dead between my teeth. Yes, Daddy, I'll be quiet now. No, I know. No games. No fooling. Let's go. We go. Though we quickly leave the greenhouse behind, the foul odour lingers for a long time after, coated on my tongue, the roof of my mouth, the back of my throat. Every taste of it is telling me to gag, to retch, to purge. Wrong, it says. Sick it out, it says. I know I'm being tricked. Better still, I know what the trick is and I know how it works. But that doesn't make it any less effective. Part of my brain, the part that keeps me safe, keeps me breathing, flinches me away from pain, is most definitely duped. No smoke without fire, it thinks. No putrefaction without a corpse. But stay, we've reached the far wall. There are walls in every direction here on all sides of the courtyard, walls too high to jump or see over. You could climb, though. There are lots of places where the brick has crumbled, worn in, worn away, leaving little nooks and niches where you can grip with your fingers, dig in with your toes. Before Creven came, I climbed the walls whenever the fancy took me. I'd sit on the top and kick my heels or lay down to laze in the sun. I'd walk their length and pretend they were much narrower than they really were, the width of one finger instead of two spread hands. I would flail my arms as though I was losing my balance, a tightrope walker swaying precariously on a line stretched between the upper limbs of giant redwoods. But Creven doesn't like to play those sorts of games. He goes in and out through the postern and he never thinks of the walls as anything but an extra layer of defence. Now he stops, head tilted, one ear cocked. He's listening for invaders, for the knife men lying in wait, for the trespassers and vagrants who want to steal the island from him, from us, from me. But they aren't there. They never are. There's no one on the island but for us, me and Creven. I try to say as much, but he won't be told, won't have the plain facts pointed out to him. It's a habit, I guess, this tedious precaution of his, this need to check that the silence of no breath is everything it seems, an absence and not a stifling. But then he's been on edge ever since he came here. A moment's inattention can be lethal. That's what he tells me sometimes. Perhaps it's even true, I don't know. 
I've passed several thousand moments of inattention and come to no particular harm, but I suppose that doesn't account for all possible eventualities. Suffice to say only that I am happy to humour him, and so I try very, very hard not to touch impatiently or tap my foot as Crevin listens at the postman gate. Finally deciding that he hears nothing because there is nothing to hear, he tugs on the latch and the gate opens like a mouth. Crevin pulls my arm and we pass together through that narrow throat and out into the belly of the island. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.